0: Welcome, Nexus Church Family Online, to our series in the book of Mark that's self-titled. In the series, we're exploring the life of Jesus and applying it to our personal lives. If you have more questions or if you would like to get a hold of us... Go to nexuschurchmn.com. You can find all the information on there, as well as emailing nexuschurchmn at gmail.com. You can check us out on Facebook, but we'd love to connect with you and help you to connect to Jesus. Enjoy today's message. Welcome back to our series in the book of Mark, where we're discovering the life of Jesus and applying the truths we read. In this book, to our life. Over the course of this series, we've had a wonderful display of God's power, miracles, um, healings, powerful teachings, life transformations. And today, we're going to get three very short questions and short answers by Jesus. But it all culminates... ...to the very final question, an open and honest question that a scribe had. This is a wise man, and he asked Jesus a very powerful question. But we'll get to that in a moment. Before then, we have two other questions to get to. And so today, we're going to get right to it and take a look at these three questions in Jesus' very powerful, but yet very short answers, and then we'll apply it to our lives today so we begin in mark chapter 12 verse 13 then they sent some pharisees and the herodians to jesus to trap him in his words when they came they said to him teacher we know you are truthful and don't care what anyone thinks nor do you show partiality but teach the way of god truthfully Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But knowing their hypocrisy, he said to them, Why are you testing me? Bring me a denarius to look at. They brought him a coin. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they replied. Jesus told them, Give to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And they were utterly... ...amazed at him. Brief, but yet very powerful, isn't it? Now you could read that passage many times and probably get a few different thoughts from it today. But I want to just ask this one question. Who gets my money? Isn't that really what it was getting down to? When you get to the foundation of this question... Who gets my money? Now, ultimately, they were trying to trap Jesus, right? Like, they were trying to pit him either against the Roman authorities or against God himself, against the teachings of Moses. That came directly from the mouth of God. So no matter what Jesus would say, they felt they could get him trapped. Ultimately, of course. He knew exactly what they were saying, right? He knew exactly what they were trying to do. And so he asks the question, whose inscription, whose image is on that coin? Right? Who's asking for it? Give to Caesar what he asks. If you are under the authority, under his control, we, we read this, of course, in the book of Romans. If you want to go there and take a read yourself, um, chapter 12, I believe it is, gives a very good explanation to this thought. Right? Give to him what he asks. If they are taking care of you as a city, as a, as a country, they're watching over you, protecting you even though they were enslaving you in many cases, still, even if, if that's what they ask of you, honor it. That's what God says. (laughs) But then he adds the one thought that totally takes it a different direction, right? Like Jesus wasn't going to lose this battle. He took care of that. Like there's no Roman authority who's going to get mad at him for that, right? Like actually he was supporting them in that comment. Give to them. If they want, want you to, to give them 20% of your income or 50 or 100, you do it. Whether you like it or not. If it doesn't go against God, give it to them. But give to God what is His Give to God what is His. <laughs> Isn't that good? And so today, just for a moment, we have to ask the follow up question to Jesus' statement. That is, what is His? What do we give Him? Ultimately, He says in 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, Don't you realize that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, the place where God's presence dwells? It used to be the temple. Now it's your body who lives in you and was given to you by God. You do not belong to yourself. Getting right to what Jesus said. For God bought you with a high price, so you must honor God with your body. Our lives are His. That's what we're to give to Him. Give to Him what is His. That's our lives. Our whole being. Who we are is to live in obedience We'll get back to that thought in just a moment. But in between that thought, what Jesus is about to say in just moments, we have another question that came from a Sadducee. His question, is heaven for real? Like, come on, Jesus. Is heaven for real? I believe this is a very important question for us to ask today as well. If you've been to any funerals, or if you've been in any conversation about life after death, there are a plethora, plenty of different views about what life looks like after we exit from this time on earth. There's so many different thoughts. Even in, within Christianity, you have differing kinds of twists on what this afterlife looks like. And so a Sadducee, another religious person, comes up to Jesus and asks that question. Verse 18 of Mark 12. The Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, so they're saying there's really not any kind of afterlife. There's no going up to be with God in heaven or going down to the abyss where the evil one dwells, right? And so they have that that thought. It's important to understand that, right? Because of what's about to be asked. He questioned him. Teacher, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies, leaving a wife behind but no child, that man should take the wife and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. Kind of giving him an a hyperbole or or like a story to get ap- across his point right uh, there were seven brothers the first married a woman dying left no offspring the second also took her and died leaving no offspring and the third likewise none of the seven left offspring right seven brothers not a single offspring probably highly unlikely But they were following, in his story, his example, they were following the teaching of Moses. So now, last of all, the women died too. In the resurrection, if you put it in quotes there, when they rise, whose wife will she be since the seven had married her? Jesus spoke to them. The Sadducees, one of the sects of, of Judaism, that I consider the religious elites, right? Jesus spoke to them. Isn't this the reason why you're mistaken? You don't know the scriptures or the power of God. For when they rise from the dead, they will neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like the angels in heaven. And as for the dead being raised, haven't you read in the book of Moses, in the passage about the burning bush, how God had said to him, I am the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. He is not... The God of the dead, but of the living, you are badly mistaken. Oh my goodness. Could you just, I would love to be a fly on the wall in that conversation. Like, wow, how just cutting his remarks must have been. I mean, he was extremely kind to so many people, but to these religious elites, he was just done. He had enough of their questioning, enough of their probing. They just kept coming at him, trying to disprove him, like, you're not God, let me prove it to you. I'm smarter than you. You, you don't have any formal training. Would you just stop preaching Jesus? Goodness, you think you can do it all. You are not from God. There is nobody who can be from God. And, but the Messiah. They, just, they made no sense, and they kept coming at Jesus from all these different angles. <laughs> and then he tells them, you don't know the scriptures. You think you do. Now it is important to understand as I was reading a uh, little bit of background on the Sadducees, uh, not only did they not believe in the resurrection as is the case in this passage as it stated. But commentators also say that the only piece of scripture, the only part of the Bible that they viewed as holy as something to be taken directly from God, was in fact the Pentateuch, the the, the first five books of the Bible that Moses had been so influential writing. Like they only believed in Moses' teaching, that he was the only one sent from God to write for God. All the other ones were wise books and books we could take knowledge from, but they weren't directly from God. So it's important to understand, right? And Jesus says here, you have only taken a small piece of scriptures. There is so much more written about me and you are focused only on these five. What about the prophets? What about the wisdom books? What about the historical books? We find in Chronicles and Kings, Samuel and the Judges, you only find your truth In five books from Moses. You don't know the power of God. You only know a piece of it. In fact, your own king that you would look up to as one of the greatest men of God of all times. King David wrote himself a man of God man after God's own heart. Listen to what he says. He says in Psalm 16, 9 and 10, No wonder my heart is glad and I rejoice. My body rests in safety, for you will not leave my soul among the dead or allow your Holy One to rot in the grave. You will show me the way of life, granting me the joy of your presence and the pleasure of living with you forever. They had thrown that out as not Scripture, as not God's Word for us today. It didn't fit their ideology Of truth. And so they just wrote it off. Jesus says "You've, you've written off. My word. God's word. And so because of that. He actually points back to Moses himself. Going back to Exodus 3. Where God shows up. And he says to him. I am the God of your ancestors. I am the God of Abraham. Isaac. Jacob. I am not the God of the dead but of the living. You see, if if these three patriarchs that even the Sadducees would point to as this is Scripture, God says in His Word, I am a God of the living. Even though they are long gone from this earth, they are alive with me. They're alive. They're not dead. They're living. I'm the God of the living. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, they're still alive. Just not here on earth. So Jesus brings that passage out and says, ah, even your own Bible, your own scriptures, your own view of the totality of God's word for us today, even that points to the fact that there is indeed a resurrection, an afterlife. A place where you can dwell with me now we will come back to this after Easter because I do believe that this this thought of the end times or our our time on earth as it passes by it, it 's such an important topic because so many people get so uh, so confused about it, much like the Sadducees. But for now, I just want to leave with that reminder for us to process, to think about where we stand with God because we will spend all of eternity either in the presence of God or far removed from God for all of eternity. And and what we believe makes all the difference. Who we give our allegiances to matters. Well, the final question came from a scribe. So we had the, the, I guess the Herodians, which were kind of a political sect, if you will, within Judaism, along with the Pharisees, the most well-known of them all. They came with the question, who should we follow? Should we follow God and do what he says, or should we follow these temporary rulers that are on earth? Who should we follow? Who should we give our allegiance to? Who should we pay our money to? then came along the Sadducees who were very removed from most of society. They were kind of the eccentric ones. They were really lofty. Thought they were something special, you know, in their own little weird way. They come along and they try to question Jesus about the resurrection and say, You don't know what you're talking about. There's no resurrection in the Bible. Our version of it anyway. And Jesus disproved their misunderstanding, discredited their own belief that only the God spoke in the book of Moses and his writings. And now come the scribe. Now there is just one of him, at least from what we can gather from the passage. But he, he had an honest question for Jesus. And I would love to have known what happened to this scribe because there are a few people in the Bible who we really don't know where they ended with Jesus because they seemed like they got it. It appears as if they were walking towards Jesus and willing to accept the message that he had about the good news of him coming to remove our sins and to bring us into the presence of God. Seem to get it. So let's take a look at our final section, verses 28 through 34. And one of the scribes approached, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, he asked him, Which command is the most important of all? Now, if that isn't a loaded question, which command is the most important of all? You know, there's hundreds and hundreds of commands that were followed from the Old Testament and many more that were added that necessarily weren't a part of the original commandments that God gave. Which is the most important? (laughs) You seem like you're a wise guy. You must know them all. So what is it? Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, O Israel, the Lord our God, The Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is love your neighbor as yourself. There's no other command greater than these. Well, that's a great answer. The scribe said to him, You are right, teacher, as if he knows more than God. (laughs) You have correctly said, that he is one, that there is no one else except him, and to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as far as yourself. It's far more important than burnt offerings and sacrifices. (laughs) Which, if you read all of the prophets, that, that theme continues to come up over and over again. Jeremiah says it, Isaiah says it, all the minor prophets kind of point to it in a certain degree and some outrightly. I don't require offerings and sacrifices and all these things. What I want is you. I want your obedience. So he got it. And so Jesus saw that he answered wisely. He said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God, and no one dared ask him a question any longer. Whew. That's a great question. What is the greatest command? Oh, no, I have to admit that when I read the Bible, sometimes I get that same question. What really matters? do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. And it all comes down to our heart, right? Where are we at with Jesus? And that's what Jesus gives us a response. Love. Love God. Love others. So for the remaining few minutes that we have, I just want to take a look at those two thoughts Love God. It's fairly straightforward, right? Like, love God. And so in our mind and in many teachings, what do we get as a kind of an antidote to how to do it? Well, spend time with God. Spend time with God in prayer, talking to Him. Spend time with God through His Word, reading the Bible. That's His Word directly to us so we know what He wants. Like, read it. Spend time with Him. Go to church hang out with those people who build you up and encourage you and have small groups and accountability partners and on and on. So that's what so often we come across with when we talk about loving God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, all your strength. But when we look in Scripture, we see that it's more than just a love and spending time with God though yes it is listen to the depth of this friends loving God isn't just some flippant thing that we do when we feel like it when we have spare time or when we remember listen to where this text comes from in the book of Deuteronomy we read in chapter 10 verses 12 and 13 and now, Israel, what does the Lord God require of you? Right? This, is, this is it. What does his chosen people supposed to do? Which now, that includes us. He requires only that you fear the Lord your God. Not a scared kind of fear, but like an awe. And like, whoa. I am in the presence of the almighty God who created all things and has the ability to do anything at any time. The loving God who graciously welcomed us as his own. That's the kind of fear. Fear God with awe. That beautiful, amazing ability we have to be in his presence. And live in a way that pleases Him. And love Him and serve Him with all your heart and soul. And you must always obey the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. Jesus exemplifies this in the book of John. We read in verse, or chapter 14, verse 15. It kind of gives you a description Of what that love means, what it looks like, right? What is this loving God, this awe of Him? What are those commands that He requires of us? You must love me. And if you love me, you will keep my commands. And I will ask the Father and He will give you another counselor to be with you forever. He is the Spirit of Truth. The world is unable to receive him because it doesn't see him or know him. But you do know him because he remains with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'm coming to you. In a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live too. On that day, you will know that I am the Father and you are in me and I am in you. The one who has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my Father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you're going to reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. He'll keep my word, keep my commands. It just happens over and over and over in this passage. Then my love will... then my my Father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. The one who doesn't love me will not keep my words. The word that you hear is not mine, but it is from the Father who sent me. I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you, but the counsel of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have told you. Loving God requires action it requires that we respond so yes spend time with God read his word pray be in the presence of others that build you up and encourage you that is very very important because when that happens when you do that here's what happens he fills you with his presence but his presence is will not remain if you don't follow through. Part part of what it means to be a follower is His presence fills you. And when that presence fills you, it immediately gives you love. It fills you with love. And so out of that is a response of love for others. This isn't something that, that is forced upon you or something that you have no desire to do, but you have to. Like, this is something that is just part of what happens when God's love fills you. It fills you. And out of it comes this love for Him. It's an immediate You receive the gift of salvation, you are given the presence of the Father. He dwells in you, He fills you, (sighs) gives you. If I have been receiving, if I have received the gift of salvation, I have received the presence of the Father through the Holy Spirit in my life. And out of it flows love. Love for God and ultimately love for others. Continuing in this progress of thought with loving God and loving others loving his commands Jesus continues this teaching in John chapter 15 verse 9 and he says as the father has loved me I have also loved you remain in my love right don't run after other things don't forget this great salvation you received when you asked Jesus to when you asked me that's Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to come and make his presence dwelling in you through the spirit of of God, the Holy Spirit when you've done that, please remain in that the Father has loved me and now that love is going into you remain in that and if you keep my commands so there's that automatic love of God requires action If you keep my commands, if you continue in this love, then, listen to this, you will keep my Father's command and remain in his love. I've told you these things so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be complete. This is my command. Here it is love one another as I have loved you. Love one another as I have loved you. Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this than to lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I command you. Right? Love There is action when we receive God's love. I do not call you servants anymore because a servant doesn't know what his master is doing. I have called you friends because I have made known to you everything I have heard from my Father. You did not choose me, but I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce fruit and that your fruit should remain so that whatever you ask the Father in my name, he will give you. This is what I command you, love Multiple times, love one another. It's one thought there. Jesus expressed in this passage that if we remain in His love, we will have the ability to fulfill what He asks of us. If we remain connected to Him, if we continue to to seek after Him, to read His Word, to pray, to spend time in the presence of others, to be filled up, we will remain in His love and we will have the ability to follow through. When we continuously give ourselves to the things of God, Remain in his love and his spirit fills us. He gives us the ability to love one another. Now as we wrap this up today, I want to highlight one last thing before we close. You see, in this passage, both from John and from Mark today, there is something that, for a long time i missed and it's just been in this last year that it really hit me hard now again i want to remind you that this love that We are called to give towards God and towards others ultimately can only be received when we ask Jesus to forgive us of our sins, admit that we have done wrong, that we are nowhere near where God asks us to be. We cannot be in his presence if we have evil in our lives. The Bible makes that very clear. If we want to be in heaven, we need to be perfect as he is perfect. If we want to be in his presence, we have to be perfect as he is perfect. That is everything that the Old Testament talked about. We can't do that. The law proved that it was not capable of being fulfilled by us. Only God can do that. Jesus came, he did, and he gave up his life so that we could be in the presence of God. When he died on the cross, he gave up everything. That perfect life he lived, he died so that we could have perfect life the bible says that his blood was shed his body was broken so that we wouldn't have to receive the penalty of the sin we wouldn't have to be punished his body was broken his blood was poured out so that when god sees us all he sees is the blood of his perfect son over us we are now capable when we believe that god sent jesus as that perfect person to forgive us to be in our place, to be between us and God so that all God sees now is perfection in us because of Jesus. Okay, when we believe that, we've said we're sinners, we can't do it. Jesus did. We believe that. We want to give our lives to Jesus, to God, one and the same. When we give our lives to Him, we are now not our own. We are jesus's his body his blood was poured out for us we've given ourselves to him and when we do that as jesus said in this passage in john we now have the spirit of god the holy spirit we call it living in us we have the ability to do what god requires through his commands we're still not perfect We never will, but we have that ability to do it. And so, when God says, love me, love others, we can. That is the greatest command. All the other ones fall right underneath one of those two. So if we can get that right, does this fall underneath loving God, cheating on our taxes? That's not honoring God. It's not what God would want. It's not caring for others in what they've asked. Whether we agree with it or not, God's placed that as an authority over us. We do it. Right? God gives us the ability to follow through on what He would ask, whether it's loving Him or loving others. But this passage says something else that I think we so often forget want to highlight it for you right now. In John Jesus stated it this way. We are to love one another as I loved you. As I loved you. We love others as he has loved us. And then in Mark is the, this was where the highlight came from or that, that, that all of a sudden out of nowhere it was like this light bulb turned on in my head, right? Listen to this. We are, according to the passage in Mark, we are to love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. Now for the longest time i've always just used that statement as a as a high calling to love others right like love others as jesus has loved me right love others as i would like others to or as i would like to love myself right like put them at that level of of importance you know almost leveling up others over myself and kind of sacrificing myself for others. is really what I was processing that as. But it really dawned on me that this command was for me to receive first. Love others. Love your neighbor as yourself. As yourself. Love one another as I have loved you. I have to receive that love. I have to receive it before I can give it to others. Let that sink in for a moment. What does that mean? Before I can love another person, before I can even love God, I have to receive that love for myself. We're broken people. We may be capable of loving an, an, a, a friend, a really close relative, or somebody who loves us anyhow, and it's kind of that, I'm returning what you have given me. Anybody can do that. But without the love of God to love your enemy, that goes against everything inside of us, how we are wired in, in our makeup. It's a self preservation. We don't give up ourselves for our enemies because that is how we die. And so for us to love one another, regardless of what we are given, it's what Jesus did, right? Like, he never received anything. Right, when he says, love one another as I have loved you, he did not receive any love in return. His closest friends absolutely abandoned him. Those who spent years with him, knew his great power, knew his great love, understood everything as fully as anyone could ever understand it, rejected him, ran from him, denied him. It's impossible to truly love without receiving the love of God for yourself. I understand that's hard. Sometimes it's, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense, but just for a moment, just think about that. Remove the words, your neighbor as, from Jesus' command. And what do you get? Love yourself. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love yourself. It's the bookends. Love yourself. When you give your life to Jesus, His presence, God the Father's presence through the Holy Spirit, fills you. And He absolutely loves you. The fullness of His love for you dwells in you. Will you receive that? You really don't fully receive that until you can start having this love for yourself. And I'm not talking about like, Look at me, how awesome I am. Pat me on the back. I'm the greatest. Um, I love everything about me and have this weird complexion. Like, that's not what we're talking about. But actually, give yourself grace and mercy the way Jesus gives you grace and mercy. Forgive yourself. Give allowances for your own frustrations and shortcomings and failures. That's what God does for you we have this expectation in christianity that we have to be so perfect and god looks at us and says just come to me come to me you who are weary and i'll give you rest come to me i will forgive you be humble and meek and honest and you could be in my presence that's exactly what jesus did his whole entire ministry those who came to him seeking forgiveness humble repentant He welcomes so readily. We need to do the same for ourselves. Go to Jesus. Say, I am yours. Accept yourself. Love yourself. Jesus lives in you. So today, as we close our time together, I want you to look at that great commandment that Jesus gave to that scribe in a new way. It's not just love God, love your neighbor. It's love God, love your neighbor, love yourself. Take care of yourself. Fill yourself. If you want to stay in the game and continuing to love God for your whole existence with Fire, with passion, with zeal. If you want to continue in that, that ministry of loving others, then love yourself. Take care of yourself. Don't be selfish, but take care of yourself. Because God loves you, lives in you. The fullness of His love dwells in you. And He wants you to receive that for yourself father i pray for every person listening god you know exactly where they're at you know the pains that they feel father you know every single person's shortcomings and yet you still love them i pray today that they would receive that love and out of that love god i believe with all my heart they will be able to fully love you and love others When they fully can understand how much you love them. That frees us to give of ourselves in ways we never could imagine. So I pray that into the life of every person, that Holy Spirit, you go and you fill them. You give them that revelation of the love of God in their lives. May they receive it and welcome it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Nexus Church family online. We'll see you again real soon.